Welcome to Reverse Centaur. No, wait, this isn't Reverse Centaur. It's the Court of Nerds. Uh, the only podcast that is not sponsored by Olive Garden. Because when you're there, you're definitely not family. I'm West Coast Avenger Greg, and my Motley crew today are Kevin, Grant, and Marjorie. And we're going to be talking about beverages first. Grant, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm alternating between water, uh, because I can't shake the stupid cough, and uh, maybe I have the coronavirus. Uh, and also Makers 46 to burn everything down. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> That's rough. Kevin, what is it that you are putting into your body tonight? I am drinking quite pros- possibly the best named uh, beer. Uh, and it's it would honestly probably be better for Reverse Centaur, but I'm drinking it tonight. It's called Conehead the Beer Barian. Oh, my God. That art is beautiful. <laughs> That's a great name. Uh, and it's by uh, Kings Con- County uh, Brewers Collective. Out of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, it is an IPA, double dry hopped, sits at 7.2%, and it is delicious. Fantastic. Marjorie, what are you imbibing? Uh, I am uh, imbibing a little bit of, a uh, little bit more of the blackberry cheese from uh, cheesecake, blackberry cheesecake from uh, Strain, of course. Uh, lovely terpenes uh, in the Linalool uh, Purple Daddy Hayes family. But I'm also drinking marshmallow root and rosehip tea, which tastes a little bit like swamp water with like a bright citrus overtone. That really doesn't sound appetizing whatsoever. It's very good for you. You just described like... Diarrhea after breakfast. <laughs> yeah. You can't get on the bus until you drink your swamp water. Does it also kind of smell like marsh water? Uh, no, it smells. It smells quite floral. <laughs> Ooh. Socrates said to eat marshmallow root, or I don't know, someone very old and dead and white. Oh, I'm. Uh, I am going to be drinking. Uh, oh my God! What the hell is this? Mammoth Brewing Company's Double Nut Brown Porter, and this can is friggin' massive, and it looks amazing. That looks amazing. Mmm. Ooh, that's good. How many ounces does that okay. hold? This 22? motherfucker is a 32 fluid ounce. It's one quart of beer. Mmm. <laughs> so we're gonna get lit tonight, and then I'm gonna go to work tomorrow. It's gonna be fantastic. For those of you who can't see, Thirsty. Greg is drinking beer out of a Pringles can. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this thing is like Bigger than my face. Jesus rice, dude. <laughs> I'm feeling very inadequate next to this thing. <laughs> so, so by now, have you guys all seen Sonic the Hedgehog? Absolutely. Affirmative donut master. I, I'm ashamed to say that I, I haven't. We still haven't gotten to anything in the theater yet. But you know how I love spoilers, Greg. Oh, I know. We're just going to spoil, spoil away. So if you have not seen Sonic the Hedgehog, just a fair warning, we are going to dive into some spoilers here. Uh... Grant, what did you think of the movie? Uh, I saw it with my five-year-old son, and I mostly saw it because, you know, I have fond memories of the first and second game on Sega, and he just wanted to see something run really fast. Uh, But we both ended up having a great time. Uh, The redesign, I think, helped, like, exponentially. Uh, I know there's a lot of guff back and forth on it, uh, but it was just a ton of fun. And Jim Carrey was, he did a great job, too. Kevin, what was your first impression once you saw the uh, post credit scene? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, what, depending on which one. Ah, yes. Uh, my, my, my favorite one was, of course, where uh, Dr. Robotnik uh, began his transformation into Dr. Eggman and the crazy mustache on the world of the mushrooms. 
Uh, and there's this just line that I just kept laughing at for days later. Uh, where he goes a little bit castaway, and he carves a face on a rock, <laughs> and he calls it Agent Stone. And he goes, Agent Stone, reconnaissance, and he chucks the rock in front of him. And then he goes, ha, uh, ha, and- ha, get it? rock ha, 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 Yeah, it's... <laughs> As he says it to nobody, because nobody's around. Uh, but yeah, of course, uh, Tails showing up uh, right at the end, uh, tracking... Uh, you know, the energy that Sonic is giving off gives me hope uh, that we will see more Sonic films in the future and uh, maybe we'll get some more cameos from other beloved characters. Uh, and I hope that they make Knuckles as dumb as he is in Sonic. Oh, he really has to be. I think that's the only way to have this character at this point. Uh, I was really, really happy with it. Uh, I grew up playing Sonic the Hedgehog like most 90s kids did. And oh, yeah. uh, by the end of it, I was just... Like, my God, this this movie was it was just a total love letter to the game and also Olive Garden. Um, yeah, that was a bit heavy handed. The, the product placement was a little rough. Uh, I did actually think at the very end when uh, the government agent said, Uncle Sam would like to thank you with a $50 Olive Garden gift card. I laughed my ass off because I thought that was really damn funny. That was funny. But yeah. then the, the discussion kind of continued. About Olive Garden. Oh, yeah, well, you can get your their unlimited soup salad and the breadsticks. Oh, I love the breadsticks. The breadsticks, it was just like, guys, shut the fuck up. The $50 gift card portion was enough, and it was funny, and we'll just stay with that. Um, aside from that, like, I mean, the the, uh, the the characterization of Sonic, Ben Schwartz, was incredible. Um, as you said, Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik, he was friggin' chewing every little bit of that scenery that he was on. The scenery he was dancing just made me so happy in my heart. Um, James Marsden's where, happy uh, or uh, handsome. Yeah, and, and James Marsden is very handsome. Yes, Donut Lord. <laughs> I listened. Uh, I was listening to a uh, a podcast this morning that was about that. Uh, one of my okay, small plug for a podcast that doesn't give us any plugs, but uh, the Wisecrack Movie Podcast is a lot of fun, and uh, it's the Wisecrack Channel YouTube crap where they talk about philosophy. And one of the things that they touched on was how the movie. Uh, was really good at giving um, all of the characters a type of foil within its own universe. So you had Sonic the Hedgehog, who was very much feeling alone and felt like he didn't have anyone. He was just dying for some kind of connection. You had Dr. Robotnik, who just wanted... uh, He wanted everyone to just kind of leave him alone. He had no use for anything that wasn't efficient, and he craved isolation um, because humans were, were awful. Uh, and he humans were beneath him. And then you have uh, James Marsden's character, Donut Lord. Honestly, I don't even remember the character's actual real name. He's just going to be known as Donut Lord. Tom. Um, Tom. Was it Tom? Yeah, Tom Wachowski. That was it. Wachowski. Okay. So uh, him being forced into a situation where he's kind of in between the two characters where he doesn't necessarily want that isolation of feeling like he's the babysitter in green Hills, but he also is kind of being pulled towards the, uh, the technology of Silicon Valley and the Bay area and like the big town cop ideal and, uh, kind of watching the way that all three of these characters were playing off each other was really interesting. So sounds like a lot of depth for a video game movie. Yeah. For something that sounds like it was sponsored by product placement? Olive Garden, primarily. Wow. And uh, the thing that we kind of touched on the last time that we were talking uh, was the I, uh, the total failure of Puma 
to not release the shoe. Still checking, like, every day, just check, just in case. Every single day. And because there's a certain point in the movie where Sonic is given the red shoe with the white stripe on it, and it's a Puma shoe, and it's got, like, like a sock that's connected to it. And uh, both me, Kevin, and Grant all remarked after having seen the movie, oh, my God, we got to go online and see how much these shoes are. And they still don't exist. It's been two weeks that the movie's been out, (laughs) and it still doesn't exist. They have the molds. Right? (laughs) And much like uh, 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 Disney with the, 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 the Mandalorian and the Baby Yoda content, it's like, how do you guys not, how do you miss this incredible opportunity to make all kinds of merch money? Come on. Well, preach. Yeah. I, they have no choice but to make these shoes eventually. Like, it, it they are probably mon- like monitoring the situation, or at least the conspiracy theorist in me thinks that they're monitoring the situation. And eventually, uh, just when it's reached a zenith, they'll be like, Oh, hey, look at these! Well, I'll be like, hey, remember, remember, maybe it'll be like when the, the movie's DVD comes out or something. They'll be like, oh, yeah, and you can also get these shoes, too. If you, like, if they have a deal where you have to buy the shoes and get, like, a DVD or vice versa or whatever, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'll do it. I want the shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I waited for a long time for Princess Leia action figurines in the early 90s um, is all I have to say about that. <laughs> They're out now. <laughs> They're out now. <laughs> yep. Worst case scenario, you can always go on Etsy. <laughs> uh, so, Madge, you just finished, the, or you're almost done with The Mandalorian, but you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, I I mean, I've avoided it mostly just because I've been avoiding the Disney Plus and having to get subscriptions to, you know, everything else and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm pleasantly surprised. I think it's, it's, it's Disney, you know, as, as my husband pointed out, he was like, it feels really, it feels really Disney, like, and, and, and it does. Um, but it's, it's PG-13. And honestly, I, I think that the step back from, you know, super glory, super gory, you know, bloody content is honestly a little bit refreshing. Um, I don't mind, mind that the, the subject matter is certainly heavy enough. Um, and, and frightening enough psychologically. So I, I kind of appreciate that, but obviously, you know, the big game changer with the Mandalorian is the gender bending with the role of the man of the Mandalorian, the quintessential badass bordering on what would, what would we say? Uh, uh, neutral, neutral, chaotic, neutral, I would say lawful, neutral, lawful, neutral, he's a lot closer Mm -hmm. to lawful, neutral because he is following his code, you know, Mm, this is the way. This is the way, way. of course, of course. So, um, but quintessentially masculine and he is a warrior and what's he doing, right? We, he's, he's a nurturer. He's in the role of a nurturer. He's taking care of a baby, the most precious baby that could possibly ever exist. And obviously pulls at all of our heart, nostalgic heartstrings in a very, very genius kind of way. Um, but I just, I absolutely love the gender swap, I think that this is such a subtle, but really, really important way of truly bringing, you know, we talk, you know, talk about, you know, the feminism, and we talk about gender equity, and we talk about, you know, all of these buzzwords and politics and society. But this is really, I think, 
equity, this is what equity really looks like in storytelling, is re-examining, really radically re-examining our gender roles um, and asking questions like, oh my God, what would it be like if like a tender-hearted Mandalorian who like used to have a family who he loved, um, which thankfully we don't get we don't see be horribly killed. Like that's a distant part of his past. That's not relevant. We don't have to go through all of that gore and trauma, but we know that he has a soft spot. And you know, what if, what if he is faced with this opportunity to become a nurturer, right? To, to become a father again. And what if he takes that? What would that look like? This is a, this is a phenomenal question because, you know, I, I wrote an essay about Birchbox uh, on, on Netflix a while back and about, traumatic motherhood um, and how I really loved the, you know, Birchbox's exploration of looking at what motherhood looks like when you don't want to be a mother um, and when mm -hmm. you're not all about it, right? Um, and I really loved that, but Mandalorian takes this into masculinity and explores the nurturing aspects of masculinity that I just think is a really, really necessary conversation. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really pleased with that. And also on another angle, I have to relight my cigarette because I talk too long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, on another angle, I love, she's only in what, like three, two, three episodes. Um, what's her name? Gina. Cara Dune. Gina Carano. Gina Carano. Thank you. Uh, my husband is a, is a wrestling fan or as a, you know, what is it? MMA? MMA, American Gladiators. What do you want? We, we can, I can talk Gina Carano all day. Okay, right. Angel dust. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> right, right, right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, she's a, she's a badass IRL. She also happens to look pretty damn good, especially for a woman who's been punched in the face a shit ton of times, as, as Kyle points out. But I, I, I love seeing her on the screen, and I love seeing her actual guns because I'm just going to be honest right now, guys. As a woman who has guns, I don't have Gina Carano's guns, okay? But, like, I've done a lot of manual labor out on 40 acres since I was young, right? Like, I have I have a farm laborer's body, and it doesn't look like Michelle Obama's arm. Like, it doesn't look like the perfectly sculpted. It looks like a smaller, slightly more flabby version of Gina Carano, right? Like, it look, that's what you look like when you have muscles that you use in real life that you sometimes occasionally punch and kick people with, and I just I love seeing her on the screen. I want more of it all the time. I miss Michelle Obama. I just want to point out that it took me approximately 10 seconds to realize that you were talking about her arms as opposed to the actual guns that she carries in the show, which are also really great. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she's lovely. Oh, mm -hmm. she's just, she's fantastic. I, lo I just, I love, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I could keep saying that I love watching Gina Carano kick ass uh, on screen in Star Wars all day long. And also love that, you know, uh, they didn't waver. The, the writers didn't waver and didn't give into the trope of having Gina Carano's character like coo over baby Yoda and be like, oh, and like start taking care of him. No, nope, nope. Shock trooper, retired shock trooper, professional fighter. No, thank you. The end. Love it. I, I love, too, the, the ways in which the show expands on Star Wars lore. Um just with, like, you're seeing some of the, the seedy backwater planets that you don't normally see. Like, okay, sure, we get a little bit of Tatooine. Yeah, sure, we see a little bit of a desert planet that kind of sort of looks like Tatooine. And, oh, okay, now we're on a, a forest planet. But these are different places, and we're actually seeing the impact of the Empire and the impact of the war on some of the smaller people. 
And it's outside of what the Clone Wars content was, which was kind of the, the high concept, here's what's happening, and here are the little maneuvers that the actual Jedi army and the Separatist army are doing uh, leading up to the, the eventual, uh, you know, Empire versus Rebel uh, conflict. But this is actually more about, like, specifically, I think it was in episode, is it two or three, when uh, the Mandalorian ends up on the forest planet, meets Cara Dune, and then they have to take down the AT-AT. Um, yeah. I think that was three. Okay, so episode three, when all of this is happening, we also get to see this small village of people just trying to survive and struggling against a much more powerful force, a remnant of the Empire. A uh, remnant so of warlords, fucking powerful. shit up. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, it, and just kind of exactly, and we also get to see importantly, which we've seen tastes of, you know, in in Star Wars, but we're continuing on the theme of looking at the impact of soldiers who have been forced to work for the Empire, right? A Quill's character, our, mm -hmm. uh, uh, what's what's his racist name? Come on, help me out here. What? Oh, you mean Ugnolty? Ugnolt! Oh my god! So Ugnot is the name of the, the, the race, but uh, it's Nick Nolte that plays it, so mm -hmm. everybody calls him Ugnolty. Ugnolty. And his blurgs. The blurgs. Oh my god, I love the blurgs so much. But He's spoken. I, mean, I have spoken. I, I have spoken. What a brilliant depiction of, you know, someone who has survived servitude of the Empire, and we get little glimpses into this. But we start to see the impact. You know, we see these characters in the main storylines as villains, but this is, like, behind the scenes. This is the backstory. Um, it's, it's a very empathetic storytelling approach. I really like it. And also, it, it kind of pisses me off because it's such better quality a TV show than pretty much any service is putting out at this point. Just the, the, the CGI is barely even there. It's mostly practical effects. Oh, it's lovely. Um, the costumes mm -hmm. are great. The acting is great. Everything is great about it. John Favreau did an, an, an incredible job uh, filming it. I mean, just everything about the show is infuriatingly good. Yep, yep. The episodes almost feel like the pacing of what, like, Star Trek TOG episodes always wanted to be, honestly. Mm -hmm. Now, you had some kind of theory about Star Wars and Star Trek that stemmed from this show? Oh, uh, actually, from my rewatchings of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, TNG, uh, just a quick little earworm for you, <clears throat> Star Wars and Star Trek crossover fans, because, uh, of course, we're fans of both. Uh, as I'm watching through TNG again for like the fifth or sixth time, uh, because I grew up watching it as a kid with my dad and it's kind of my, it's, it's my sci-fi pacifier. Um, I'm, I'm, for the last several watchings and this one in particular, I'm in, as I, as I research more, you know, philosophy and Noam Chomsky and things, Marshall Solins and things like this, um, I'm increasingly struck with how in Star Trek universe, the Star Trek Federation is heavy-handed, is over-militarized, is we always trust it and root for it because it's under the hands of ambivalent or of, of uh, a benevolent and competent people. You know, Kirk with his cowboy diplomacy, but his heart of gold and he's doing the right thing. Picard with his impeccable diplomacy. Um, you know, we could go on from there, but you know, we trust them for these reasons, but the system itself is terrifyingly powerful. Its immediate knee-jerk reaction is to remove agency. Look at all the shit that Data goes through, basically killing his daughter, trying to take him apart for parts without his permission. Um, Picard is the only one who stands in between that. It's, it's the buddings of the Empire. 
Now, I don't have it all worked out. Nerds can work this out. Uh, who have more time? Uh, stronger nerds. Better nerds than I am. Smoke some more. I'm sure you'll figure it out. <laughs> this is the court of nerds. People who are better nerds than I am can figure this out. Uh, you know, we, we play with time and time travel and alternate dimensions in Star Trek all of the time. I, I propose that the Star Trek Federation is actually the seedlings for the empire that we see in Star Wars. Um, possibly thousands of years in the future, possibly with some very, uh, you know, time dimensional warps in there to get us there. But uh, uh, at the very least, uh, the structure of the empire in Star Wars is modeled after the Star Trek Federation. Well, we know that Wesley Crusher's middle name is Revan. <laughs> uh, it's the founding of the Sith Empire. <laughs> Holy shit. There we go. There we go. Solved it. God damn it. Um, in uh, a much less uh, de- depressing-ish news, uh, Kevin, we discovered today that some people who are gamers are not actually as terrible as we thought they were. Right. Uh, so this came about uh, uh, John uh, Ebinger, uh, who is uh, was a former Bioware cinematic designer, uh, and he worked on the first Mass Effect. Uh, a game that was very is very near and dear, I think, to all of our hearts, uh, and one of the v- prime uh, action RPGs uh, of the that created a new generation of action RPGs. Over the shoulder camera placements, uh, moving away from the isometric view, uh, but still keeping all the RPG elements, and giving you essentially moral paths. Uh, it was the Paragon and the Renegade path. Uh, you could, if you're going to look at it in Manichaean terms, good and bad. Uh, somebody, you know, made a tweet uh, by somebody I've seen. David Michael Kinney, uh, developer, in this game, you can be a bad guy. Me, wow, cool. Spares and forgives enemies, refuses to steal, selects friendliest dialogue quotes. Developer, this is supposed to be an escapist fantasy about violating social norms. Me, I'm a nice villain. <laughs> and so John Ebinger writes, yup, something like 92% of Mass Effect players were Paragon, and we put a lot of work into the Renegade content. <laughs> so only 8% of people that played Mass Effect, and, you know, that finished it, uh, were evil. And, uh, you know, it kind of, when I look at, back at it and I ask myself, how do I play these games? Uh, and when I was younger, of course, we I had more time for multiple playthroughs, but nowadays I, I, I'm pretty one and done. Mm-hmm with most games. And I am pretty, I, I always skew to the light side. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to ask all of you, have you guys ever played a game where you went the evil path and that was your primary choice? I think the closest I ever came to that was playing um, Dishonored. Because in Dishonored, mm-hmm. there are three endings and I wanted to get all three endings. And the only way to get one of the endings, the uh, high chaos ending, is to kill everyone leading up to uh, leading up to the final boss. And it's a totally different story that you get if you kill everyone leading up to it. It's not particularly evil um, because all of the people that are dying absolutely deserve it. Uh, but you get a very different kind of ending and you get a bit more of a dark ending that sort of plays on the idea that to do this kind of action to kill someone without mercy uh like they deserve sure 
uh, but to kill these people brutally actually has a physical effect on the world around you as well. Um, aside from that, like when I was playing Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, I struggled to do anything that was evil that would ruin my karma because yep. I mean, fuck you remember in mass effect three, there was that whole thing where like you go into little, what is it? Little lantern, little lamb. Oh my gosh. Um, their little yeah, en encampment yeah. that they had. Rachel, help me. Uh, little, little lamplight. Lamp that was it. You like to count on you. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, little lamplight is a bunch of kids that were orphans from, uh, uh, you know, from all of the hell that was happening in the wasteland. And one of the storylines is you go around and you enslave people and you can enslave one of the kids in little lamplight. And I could never do that. I'd see the, I'd see that there was that, you know, mission that I had to go and do, and I just couldn't fucking do it because it's terrifying to have that kind of power and to wield that kind of evil power over someone. I just can't do it. Grant, did you ever play evil? Uh, for Mass Effect uh, 1, 2, and 3, I got about three playthroughs through each. Uh, one was knee-jerk reaction the first playthrough. Second playthrough is knowing what happens, and I kind of veered more towards uh, Paragon because I didn't want anyone to die. And third playthrough was always kind of like my badass playthrough, so... A little renegade, but primarily Paragon, but in uh, Knights of the Old Republic, in the, the precursor to Bioware's Triumph, uh, I did a straight, I wanted to see how evil I could do, and I got, like, the pitch mm. blackiest, and it was just bizarre fun. Like, uh, do you remember there was that Twilight Girl and her Wookiee companion? Ah, uh, yes, uh, Mission in Zalbar, yep. yeah. I made the Wookiee kill that girl. How fucking dare you? It was. She is an adorable bee. It was great. Well, you know what? The Wookiee owed me a life debt, and I want her out of the picture. And, and oh my you. God, this gives me so much anxiety. Grant, and you hate sadness in Inside Out? This is such. This hey, is such I was a an emo kid in college. This was. <laughs> wow. I knew you in college. You weren't emo. Shut up, dude. That's what the girls thought. Did you have the uh, the eyeliner and the uh, the no just or just the, the, the swoop of hair and some tight black shirts? I can swoop see that. Of hair, okay. I can see that. Mm. Marjorie, anybody, any evil playthroughs? Uh, I'm ashamed to say that I'm I'm not a veteran of, of Mass Effect or or Skyrim. Um, I'm Mario and Breath of the Wild only is my is the extent of my gaming. But uh, mm. I'm I'm not. I think that the closest that I've ever gotten to is uh, probably brutally stabbing Fripp's dad in, uh, in Oh Avatar, yeah, which okay, was, but D &D was totally count. or no, I, I kind of streak you. It was totally a mercy killing. It, it needed to be done. Like I, I still feel I still stand by that decision, and I just say that that was part of my chaotic good, which is all I ever do in in any kind of role in any kind of RPG is just play like an exaggerated balls to the wall version of myself, which is. Always chaotic good with a very, you know, anarchic, like, oh, if I have decided, INFJ, if I have decided that this is morally correct, I'm going to fucking do it and feel no fucking remorse. So move on with it. <laughs> nice. Uh, as far as evil plays throughs, uh, only one really comes to mind. And, uh, and I think it's justified because it was Elder Scrolls Oblivion. And... It was justified because of the damn horse armor. Oh, god damn. Yep. And so I remember getting it and then paying the $3.50 for the first DLC 
and it turns out to be horse armor. And so it's like, I'm joining the Brotherhood, and I'm just going to kill everybody I find. I just go into towns, just leave everybody dead. <laughs> you know, I just, I went full. And then after the events, uh, once you go to Sheogorath's realm, uh, and I was like, yeah, that's where my comeuppance came. Mm -hmm. Uh, because, you know, uh, he's the Prince of Madness, and, uh, you, you can't, you can't just be evil or just be good in his realm. And it kind of messed up that playthrough. Uh, but that's the only game that I think I've ever committed to being evil. I feel like in, in Oblivion and Skyrim, good and evil is not even really well defined. Yeah. No. Um... Because even the Dark Brotherhood storylines in both Skyrim and Oblivion are not even really all that evil. They're just, it's, it, they're just a bunch of assassins. And they're not like, I mean, okay, the, the what is it, the Night Mother is, is terrifying, yes. sure. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, once you sleep in her coffin with her and just kind of hang out with her a little bit, you realize she's really not, not, not all that terrible. God, I hated that so much. So, here's, <laughs> so in Oblivion... <laughs> Uh, the Dark Brotherhood, uh, you get in, like, one of the final missions, you are given, like, a black arrow. You know, and you all, and, like, I, I hoarded things in that game, and I saved them. Like, for instance, the poison apples that kill with one bite. Mm -hmm. And, like, I didn't use it. Like, I just, I just killed them, and I saved that arrow, which was a one-hit kill. And I saved it to the realm of Sheogorath. <laughs> And that's how I killed the last baddie. It was just like, all right, I don't need that wand. Bing. <laughs> Did it work? You didn't get the Wabajack, anyway. but the Wabajack is like the best thing in the world. Yeah. Yes, when it's not turning things into chickens. I love that it turns things into chickens. <laughs> but I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was interesting, and it's interesting that, you know, games have... We're no longer given like good and bad. We're we're given a kind of range of things where if you choose something, something good and something bad happens. You know, uh, and most of the time it makes you know kind of moral relativism more. I don't know, acceptable <laughs> nihilism, the the ultimate truth. I too have watched uh, the Good Place. Uh, so something else <laughs> that has big that has happened. It's kind of shaking the. Uh, community of uh, of comics is this thing that may or may not have be happening with AT and T. Uh, Grant, uh, did you see this at all? Uh, everything is. I don't believe any of it. I don't think and like they, okay. there's no transparency to it. AT and T has acquired like a parts of Warner Brothers, I think, or something like that. I have no idea. But they're talking about how. Oh gosh, maybe they'll cancel the comic division, which is I don't think that's going to happen. And then Dan DiDio lost his job as one of the co-publishers and people are being really horrible and gross over it as though one man was in charge of, you know, all these poor decisions they made. And just right now it seems like DC's kind of mired in a fog and it's just kind of unpleasant and the rumors of the 5G relaunch is coming and it just seems like no one's very happy. Uh, let's break down uh, 5G or five generations. Uh, what uh, what is it exactly, and and how is it going to affect the comic book buyer? Uh, well, it's talking about like the newest generation of heroes, and 
it's I feel like it's still all speculation. People are thinking that like the old legacy heroes are gonna come back into relevance, like Nightwing and Wally West and uh Kyle Rayner and all these other people that actually took on new mantles. And I look, DC's not gonna do anything to ups to rock the boat for their cash cows. Like Batman, Superman, untouchable. Wonder Woman, untouchable. And it's just I feel like we've entered a period of comics where nothing can happen to a lasting effect because everything has to revert back to the familiarity that the general audience has and that's just i don't know it's just not exciting it's like it's like events you can set your watch to the events every year and they tie into the regular books and just gunk stuff up and nothing will ever be the same mm-hmm. is always said <laughs> things mm-hmm. hey superman's back in red trunks hey that i mean dc acquiring Bendis was such a great find. Uh, Jonathan Kent, how's how's, I, how's, uh, how's old John doing? Uh, uh, I, I I could tell you uh, as he's getting him and Damien are getting like a line of children's books uh, that don't run in continuity, uh, and so that's that's going because you know BMB didn't destroy that aspect. Uh, but to get back to like five uh, G. I mean, you say it's speculation, but Bleeding Cool, who has a pretty decent yeah. track record on things, you know, uh, essentially had a breakdown of what the generations are. Generation 1 is the emergence of Wonder Woman, uh, you know, in World War One. Generation 2 is the first appearance of Superman. Generation 3 is the crisis of infinite Earths and Flashpoint, up to Flashpoint. Uh, Generation 4 is the current timeline, and Generation 5 is the Legion of Superheroes. Now, what they mean by all of this is that whatever happened in comic history actually did happen in that period of time. All right. Superheroes haven't aged and when they have, they've reverted. We had rebirth, you know, it's, this is yet another kind of reset, but it's a reset and putting things generation generationally in place. And so that means Batman is going to be very old. And one of the big rumors that has persisted around this is Bruce Wayne is no longer going to be Batman. <laughs> sure. And he is <laughs> and he is passing it off to Duke. And that immediately got a bunch of people upset. Well, so I think a lot of these rumors too about this uh came because uh Ethan Van is it Cyber? S-C-I-V-E-R. Skyver. Yeah. So Ethan Van Skyver yeah. went live on um, on YouTube and kind of said that as soon as uh, Dan DiDio was fired, um, he went live and he said that this could be the end of DC Comics, the comic book wing of DC Comics as we know it, um, because AT&T may choose to close down DC if this new fifth generation of comics fails. I mean, I, I don't know how, how trustworthy, you know, uh, Van Skyver is. He is, you know, uh, an artist, uh, a former Green Lantern uh, artist, and, he, you know, he's worked with DC Comics for a while. Um, I know that our, our close personal friend Mick, Mick Gray doesn't really seem to be all that concerned. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, as soon as I saw this news, I was kind of reading it, and I was going, holy crap. I mean, I don't really know anything about the publishing end, but I do know that it's expensive to print comic books. 
Um, and mm-hmm. if AT&T, which is notoriously a terrible company that really only cares about the bottom line, uh, if they realize that they're losing a lot of money on something, they may choose to take the route of least money sink uh, and, and try to try to cut corners where they can. And theoretically, that could be physical comics while still selling digital comics online. And that's in theory, but I'm not sure. And I really don't know a whole lot about the actual publishing of it um, to know if that's true. Kevin, you were you were saying that it's it is a little bit more complex than that. Yeah, well, I mean, because there's a lot of different routes that it could go down. It is hard to feel like you are in a world where DC isn't publishing uh, characters that are, you know, in their world. But it's happened before. You know, where other that the licenses have been doled out to other third parties, you know. And so if they shut down the publishing arm, they still hold the copyrights. They still hold everything for all the the intellectual properties for all these characters. They can shill it out to third parties to do publication. Uh, Maybe ones that have a, you know better uh cost you know you know whose talent uh doesn't cost so much uh will the inevitable product be terrible yeah probably uh the end result is that we might see a blip in actual dc characters in magazines out on the market do i think that's gonna happen probably not but back in september of last year AT&T was actually shopping for people to buy the publishing arm of DC. Uh, they wanted it off their books. Hmm. And nobody bought. Uh, so the now we're seeing comic prices. Uh, for the longest time, DC had Hold the Line. Remember Hold the Line? Wasn't that, that nice? That was lovely. $2.99. Mm-hmm. $2.99, Hold the Line. Uh, $7.99 for your comic books, ladies and gentlemen. Do you want to buy a $7.99 comic book, Grant? No. No. Uh, do you, for the collectors out there, with the variants, that $7.99 variant cover, instead of paying, you know, $10 for that $2.99 variant cover, I immediately imagine it's going to be a $20, $25 variant cover that you're going to be paying for. This is going to make things hard uh, to maintain a physical copy end uh, if you want to keep profitability or you start filling the comics with advertisements again. Remember when DC did half-page advertisements? Well, yeah. How did that go That over? was terrible. Yeah, but you, got, you can't justify something if it is losing mm. money. Well, and all signs, all signs have been pointing that DC's losing money. I, just, I was actually, I was curious about, uh, and I, I don't think any of us actually have this answer, and from my cursory Googling online, I can't make heads or tails of any of these numbers, but has DC, have have they been struggling with single-issue sales over the course of 2019, or is it uh, is it really that dire? Uh, they had a, Rebirth gave them a huge shot in the arm. Uh, for the longest of time, Marvel was, like, beating them up. You know, but Rebirth really gave it a giant shot in the arm and it kept going. And then it just petered, Hmm. you know, but comics just overall have been petering 
it's it is hard to make money selling comic books, especially physical comic books. It's pretty easy to make money selling digital comic books. Yeah. You know, it the cost is nil other than the production. You know, you don't have to ship it anywhere. Uh, it's you just have to pay for Comicsology to carry it for you. Uh, in a perfect world, that is what they want people buying comics on, but collectors don't want to collect digital comics. I feel like we lived through the '90s, uh, like cratering of comic books. Um, I think mm-hmm. this is just, we're just going towards another uh, sea change like that, where honestly, from what I remember, like the sales of comics have been steadily increasing the last couple of years. And while the sales of the big two might not be as good, it's because there's there's more diverse publishers that are putting out great it's books. There's competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's nice. Yeah. And I feel like this is going to hopefully make DC Comics look themselves in the mirror and be like, um, maybe we shouldn't print like 15 Batman books. Maybe we should skim the lines a little bit. Uh mm-hmm. Scott Snyder just wept a little. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and quick parentheses like Ethan Van Skyver's blackballed from popular comic book right now. So whatever he says, take with yeah. a big fat fucking grain of salt. Um, okay, that's that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like and like Kurt Busiek and Mark Wade and all like Peter David, all these guys are like, yes, the comic industry has been circling death's door for fifty years now. It's I I don't think it's in trouble. I think we're just entering a point where we have to think differently about the purchases we make and how we distribute them cuz Diamond can't be the sole distributor. It just doesn't work. There's a whole new di- whole new discussion yeah. right there is you know, middlemen. Cuz right now the comic industry needs to diversify a bit more. Uh the big two need to figure out that you can't just print a thousand extra variants and stuff because that's just more stuff that's going to leave regular books on the shelf they need to be more efficient is what it all boils down to and i think i think Mm. they're gonna have to come to that recognition pretty soon well i i mean i'll tell you the last time i've actually bought a uh a physical like single issue comic was a long ass time ago i pretty much only buy trades now Mm. because i want the full Mm. story or at least you know a quarter of the story Mm. yeah i only ever buy trades um, Grant, I think your point about independent publishing, you know, that, that you were alluding to is, is absolutely correct. You know, all of these Marvel, DC, they are popular. Their comics are popular. These storylines are popular based on, you know, what they were. It, it's nostalgia riding from childhood. You know, all of these people who are millennials, Xers, who were buying these comics when they were children in a completely different world. And... Marvel and DC are not the comics publishers are not going after younger audiences, but who are independent publishers who are doing something completely new because that's what the younger audiences who are going to carry publishing into the next era are interested in. And if the big ones, I think if they were really smart, they would do something completely new and fresh and they would take a angle that appealed to younger demographics, like something intensely green um, and about environmentalism, uh, for example, um, but yeah, no, I, I think that uh, creation, destruction, creation, destruction, it could be a really good opportunity for independent publishing as Grant and I are both like, yay, hopefully. Yeah. 
And you made a really good point about appealing to younger demographics, and that's something that DC is actually excelling at right now. Because they took a look at the New York Times bestseller list, saw Raina Telgemeier's books up there, and like, holy shit, maybe we can get these little kids to buy good books made for younger characters. So, mm-hmm. with DC's publishing line, they've got that stuff going, which is printing money. Yeah. it's, it's This is a golden age of comic books where you can find a ton of good stuff, and all these properties are getting nabbed up by Netflix, Amazon, everybody. Like, you, these, their storyboards, it's, it's pre-made. So, if people are touting doom and gloom, I think that's just a cynical aspect coming into it. And this is where I put the caveat in... I don't know shit about behind-the-scenes making comics other than, like, what I'm putting together myself. So take my words with a big, fat fucking grain of salt. Uh, Yeah. But, again, this is just... It's a rise and fall. Ebb and flow. This is just how it's going to be. Who's going to step in and fill the the void of uh, Dan and Jeff? Like, Dan DiDio is gone. Jeff Johns is mostly gone. You know, uh... Is Scott Snyder going to be the DC guy, or is Brian Michael Bendis going to fill some some new role? Like I've been obsessed with this Didio stuff for the last what? It, it just happened yesterday. It feels like it happened. What was it two, two days? Ago. Lord, it feels like a week ago. Uh, I've been obsessed with following people. Your listener, by the time that you're listening to this, it will have been a week ago. Yeah, <laughs> happy Halloween! Thanks for tuning in. Um, it's. <laughs> hearing people like if you want to learn about the comics industry follow kurt busick on twitter he is a fucking genius when it comes to the printing and history of comics and this entire time he's like you're picking creative people to handle a business aspect it doesn't work like that and he's got a great point we probably won't know who the next uh publisher is going to be like i love jim lee but i don't think his heart's in this like dan didio was the dude taking the bullets no yeah, and uh, I, I honestly, do I expect Lee to stick around too much longer? No. That, now that Dan's gone, mm-hmm. no. When it's your head that's under the chopping block, you really don't want to stay there. You want to move so you don't get beheaded. And that's the thing. Uh, just following all this, you hear about all these really talented creators who are like, yeah, Didio fought like to the balls to get my book made. And he said stuff like, mm-hmm. if this doesn't work, don't worry, I'll take the, I'll take the blame. He had a lot of shitty ideas when it came to publishing stuff, yeah. But without him, we wouldn't have had such great books coming out. And it's just, it's, it's, I don't know if I'm going full circle back this. It's pitiable reading how people are just shitting on this dude for having a dream job and making mistakes. It's like being a professional athlete and, like, Bill Buckner got shit on forever and ever because he let the ball through his legs. So, Grant, do you think that uh, AT&T's majority stake in Warner Brothers is going to have any effect on this? Because AT&T is pretty well known for being a very penny-pinching kind of company. If they want to... Well, let me put it this way. Do you remember uh, when Captain America was supposedly dying, like, 10, 15 years ago? Oh, god damn. Yeah, And yeah, how yeah. even the most casual fans... This is before, like, his movie came out. Even the most casual fans were mm-hmm. ready to, like storm the headquarters and burn that to the ground that was for one character if dc closes uh their publication or if att closes dc publications imagine an entire world saying fuck at&t and burning it to the ground like in media okay. in real life it would not behoove them to do this in 
Okay, but on the flip side of that, to keep in mind, AT&T is a big enough company that they own a lot of media. It's, it is impossible to boycott them because you are using phones that are using AT&T's cell towers. You know, we are using, we're, we're, we're in areas of the country where you can only get AT&T internet if you want internet. Like, it's really hard to boycott some of these incredibly huge mega corporations. I don't know if they made any decision that would really piss off the public if they even care, because they're making enough money that it doesn't matter to them. The bottom line matters. That's a good point. But they could also be using this as just like, someone's got to buy it or it's gone. You know, there's a billionaire out there who well, has a hard-on yeah. for Batman that would do it. Exactly. All that outward would just create leverage for a buyer to come in. You know, that would just create, you know, potential market value. Fucking Jeff Bezos comes in and buys DC, DC Comics. Uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, that would be appropriate. Game, game, Games Workshop, if you're listening, you know, you're, you're sitting on a ton of cash right now. Man, just add DC to the Black Library and we can have Space Marines fighting with Batman. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Well, if you would like to support your local nerds and maybe give us enough money to uh, potentially purchase, I don't know. I, that was a terrible transition. Uh, <laughs> it started really well. Can you imagine if we someone gave us, like, a billion dollars, like, you go buy DC Comics, and we have to be like, well, who's going to be the publisher? <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah, all right. You know what? Honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, Jeff Bezos probably wouldn't be the worst person in the world to run a publishing company because the motherfucker is already he's got Printing so much money goddamn machine. money. He's got the distribution already. Yeah. Well, he's already a media publisher, right? He's already a media owner. Fucking hell. Yeah. Washington Post. Yeah. Don't we all know it? Jesus Christ. I'm so depressed now. All right. Well, I think that's a good a good enough <laughs> point <laughs> as any to, to end this. Uh, Grant, what do you got to promote this week? Uh, by the time this comes out, I have a Kickstarter going, and you should give money to it, because it's super fun. It's a RPG kind of comic based on dealing with adult problems through escapism into fantasy. Uh, and yeah, you just look up SideQuest number one and my name, Grant Stoy, on the internet, and hopefully you'll find it. I know we'll be linking to it on online and stuff. So yeah, just fund it. And Marjorie, what do you got to promote this week? Uh... Grant's comic <clears throat> side quest number one, fund it. And 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 also my liter nerd literary publication, Cosgirl on Indiegogo, go fund the Elemental series. Fund our creative work. Yeah. Kevin, what you got to promote? Oh, coming up on my kicks no. Uh, uh, I'm going to promote uh, Superman Red Sun uh, that comes out this on February twenty-fifth. Uh, so if you haven't read uh, Superman Red Sun, it's uh, Mark Miller back in, what, 2003. Uh, what if Kal-El landed in the Ukraine instead of Kansas and became an instrument of the Soviet Union? Uh, it is now uh, an animated movie uh, coming out on February 25th, so check it out, kids. And I am going to promote this podcast. Go to thecourtofnerds.com and make sure you follow all of the cool things that all of us nerds are doing, including uh, Grant's Kickstarter and Cosgirl that Marjorie is a part of as well. Uh, and also check out Reverse Centaur on uh, on, I on uh, iTunes and the Apple uh, Podcast Store. And if you go to the Apple Podcast Store and you happen to enjoy this this podcast and reverse centaur 
Make sure you give us a subscribe, maybe give us some kind of review. It doesn't have to be five stars. If you think it is a three-star podcast, well, fuck you. But also maybe give us whatever review that you abs- that you think we, we deserve. Uh, give us six stars. Six stars. We're going to go six out of five. Tell us why you think we suck. I want to hear That's, it. That's, yes. You can leave us a comment and maybe we'll even respond to it as well in the next podcast. And rounding this out for the Court of Nerds, I'm West Coast Avenger Greg, and thank you very much for listening. This podcast made possible by our good friends at Tardy's Collector's Corner. Like them on Facebook, follow them on Twitter and Instagram, and be sure you're checking for all the latest and greatest at Tardy's.